Welcome to About the Winelands. In this show, we will be chatting to influencers and leaders in the wine industry, winemakers, restaurants, and other businesses. Tune in every Wednesday and Friday for our latest episodes. You will find us on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you do not miss out. Now, to get on with the show. Did a drunk blind monk invent champagne? Today I'm going to, uh, to do my own version of Mythbusters and uh, we will delve into the real history of champagne. For those of you, of you who are not familiar, champagne is the sparkling wine that originates from the Champagne region of France. It's only sparkling wine from this region that can be called champagne as the producers from champagne have trademarked the um, brand worldwide. So sparkling wine from any other region in the world are not allowed to be called champagne. So if you see the word champagne on a bottle, you know it's the real stuff coming from that region. So the story goes that a blind monk, Dom Perignon, actually invented champagne. And when he tasted the bubbly wine, he explained, I am drinking the stars. Unfortunately, all of this is a myth and a clever marketing ploy by the producers of champagne. Dom Perignon was not blind and he certainly did not invent champagne. Actually, it was the Benedictine monks who be began to improve the quality of the wines from this region and they sold these wines to fund their monasteries. But um, they also did not invent champagne. So, you know, who invented champagne? Actually, no one, as the formation of bubbles is natural for all wines. Champagne really began to flourish when wool producers. Now, if you, if you go to this era of champagne, you'll see um, it's a bit hilly. And, you know, um, um, currently it's, you know, there's only vineyards everywhere. But in those times when, when production of, of, of vineyards started, it was a wool producing country and the, the farmers there were farming with sheep and producing wool. And, um, but they soon realized that, um, you know, they started receiving more and more orders for champagne and they saw an opportunity to leave the wool industry for a much more promising and profitable business. The myth of a magic elixir invented by the Audi men has endured though. We should not sell on Dom Perignon short though. Um, he did have a, a huge impact in encouraging and perhaps even developing a number of practices in the vineyards and cellars that led to quality improvements. Um, he was the cellar master um, for the Hart Villier Abbey for a long time. And under his management, with these wines were highly regarded by buyers of champagne and sold for very high prices. So the second myth around champagne is that it's, it's the myth of opulence. You know, champagne is seen and marketed as a luxury product, but this all started as a happy coincidence that goes all the way back to the year 496. 
Clovis, the first king of the Franks, was baptized in the Christian faith in Rheims, the home of Champagne. So the tradition in Rheims is that all French kings were coronated in the Rheims Cathedral. And um, when these coronations happy, were happening, this was, of course, a sumptuous feast. And, um, you know, local wine, in this case champagne, flowed freely. And um, this tradition explains why champagne is now known as a, a festive drink and also sipped by those of privilege. This also had a huge impact on actually um, rise, uh, you know, creating a price rise um, for champagne as it's, seen, as it's seen as a luxury product. So this image was cemented when Louis XIV, uh, um, at the age of 16, first tasted champagne. Of course, Louis XIV was the most opulent monarch of them all, and um, he was called the Sun King. Um, he was also, um, incidentally, the longest reigning monarch in the history of um, Europe, reigning for 72 years. Um, he would associate champagne with his other obsessions, which were fashion, prestige, and luxury. Um, he also gave the industry a very lucky break when he authorized the trans transport of champagne and only champagne in glass bottles rather than wooden barrels. Of course, this made all the difference for producers because in wood wooden barrels, the gas would go out where that gave champagne its bubbles, making it go flat. Whereas in the bottles, it would stay preserved. So this new law also helped to, for the development of champagne's carefully designed packaging. And um, this was the, probably the first instance of modern marketing. Labels on champagne had, you know, featured well-known figures such as um, Marie Antoinette, uh, Joan of Arc, and as well as all kinds of military officers, noble, you know, ability artists and, you know, celebrities of the time. Uh, the champagne vendors actually quickly understood the value of graphic design to increase their brand's um, desire. And, um, you know, they started expanding their wealthy client base. So the myth of opulence was specifically created to increase more sales. The next myth that these unbelievable marketers of the Champagne region managed to create was the, what's what I call the national myth. You know, in 1789, the French Revolution um, with the guillotine severed the connection between Champagne and uh, the kings and the aristocrats. Yet, the revolution brought on a third and most powerful myth-making cycle whereby it associates champagne with the soul and character of the new French Republic and, you know, making this the national French drink, basically. Champagne had already gained enough, you know, knowledge and was renowned enough to be seen as a national symbol and worthy of collective French success. But um, when uh, the famous words of Voltaire said, um, that champagne is the shining reflection of her na nation and the most glorious expression of French civilization. But um, Napoleon really 
created the French Empire and used wine and specifically champagne to create a new society that was both industrial and loyal. Just a quick interruption, but I do need to remind you that we are currently in a very difficult time. The South African government has set up a fund where businesses and individuals can donate to support our country through this crisis. Go to the website now and add your small donation www.solidarityfund.co.za Please join us all in the fight against COVID-19. That is at www.solidarityfund.co.za Now, let's get on with the show. So, when Jean-Rémy Mowat established Mowat and then also established Mowat in the United States, he attracted a completely new set of clients, including President George Washington himself as a client. And, um, you know, this established um, Mowat and Champagne in the new world, especially amongst the upper classes there. So the Russian army then invaded France and, you know, and when they came into uh, the Champagne area with their armies, the, the widow Clicquot of the famous Verve Clicquot brand actually opened the cellars to the Russian invaders and thus Verve Clicquot became known to the Russians, were exported to the Russians and this act actually created a brand new market for Champagne in Russia. All of these strategies was very, very successful and um, in when the French Empire actually fell in 1814, the Industrial Revolution was a new golden age that started for Champagne. You know, um, with the Industrial um, Revolution, railways were built all over Europe, all over the world, and greater quantities could be transported into new markets. There was also new innovative equipment and enabled more efficient production. It improved quality. And um, Champagne be quickly became a symbol of France in the eyes of the world. So in this period also, this was when other countries started imitating the French. And the French fought back. They trademarked Champagne worldwide. And um, the Champagne region signature sparkling wine was um, granted international recognition in the 1930s. And it was protected by its AOC uh, certification and of course, worldwide trademarks, as I've said before. Now, the last myth that these guys created is called the myth of modernity. They created a myth that Champagne, from the early 1900s, they created this myth that Champagne was, you know, part of modern symbolism. Champagne was used to dazzle the growing middle class on steamships, hot air balloons, automobiles, planes, and, you know, as new technologies were developed new modes of transport, new luxury adventures, all of them, there was always champagne involved, you know, a ship was launched, a bottle of champagne was broken. Um, anything that was started, even weddings, you toast with champagne, right? So it's the modern drink. And um, it was this no coincidence that champagne was served at the 1889 Paris Universal Exhibition when um, the Eiffel Tower was in, unveiled to the world as a marvel of modern engineering, 
And again, like I said, champagne was used. Champagne was also used on the Titanic. And, of course, the closing of all business deals. Champagne was the subject of the world's first film advertisement and just grew from there. So when um, competition came from Italy, you know, Italy started competing with Prosecco and Spanish started making the Cava sparkling wines. The, the guys that advertised champagne adapted and they actually then started focusing on the history and the heritage of champagne. And it was this time that Moet created the Dom Perignon myth to promote its premium brand. In contemporary times, we all know um, that James Bond has two drinks. He drinks his martini, shaken not stirred, and there's no James Bond movie where you won't see James Bond holding or sharing with a beautiful lady more than one glass of champagne. So movie stars have been associated with the myths, myths and the history surrounding champagne from day one. Through collective myth-making, champagne has managed to take advantage of favorable social and cultural trends. And even today in places like London, in your nightlife and, you know, nightclub scene among celebrities, champagne has adapted and created new brands like Cristal, which is just, you know, a derivative of one of the popular brands, have managed to establish them as a premium champagne brand. So, you know, very interesting marketing, lots of imagination. And I think imagination and marketing and, of course, festivity is part of this enjoyment and the myth of champagne. So, now it's time for me to take a sip of champagne. Thank you for supporting our show. If you would like to get more exposure for your business, please have a look at our sponsorship options. Thanks again for supporting About the Winelands. Please follow us on YouTube and on our social media channels. All details and links are in the description.